Well, greetings wherever you are listening to The Collector Show here on Web Talk Radio. I'm your host, Harold Nickel, back for another week of collecting. And this week there is a definite theme, although unplanned, but the Star Wars thread will weave its way completely through today's show, starting with news from the world of collecting all the way through the interview segment. And I want you to stay tuned to the interview segment because you're going to learn about how someone just knew from the very beginning how his life was going to progress. And it was because of his interest in and collecting of Star Wars. A great story coming up in the interview segment. But first... As always, it's news from the world of collecting. And like I said, Star Wars starts the program with a company called Sideshow Collectibles and Empire Magazine. They're giving you the chance to adorn your living room, or I guess your dorm room, with a carbon-frozen character best known as Han Solo. The best part of this is that you don't need to hand any of your credentials over to Boba Fett to get this prized piece in your Star Wars collection. They're giving you the chance to win a life-size Han Solo in Carbonite along with other kind of cool-looking prizes in what they are billing as the biggest giveaway in the galaxy, quite literally. This magnificent replica comes in at seven and a half feet tall, and it's worth $7,000, so nearly $1,000 a foot for a Carbonite Han Solo. If you want to check it out, you can go over to uh, Sideshow at their website, and I'll post this on the collectorshow.net website. Your entry will have to be in by August the 15th, so I'm recording this well before that, but take note, and um, who knows, if you don't win one and you got $7,000 laying around, you might just want to go buy one. Speaking of valuable toys, there's a wind-up figure of Mickey Mouse that was made in Germany in about 1930, and it was sold by an individual in York County, Pennsylvania, through an auction company for more than $20,000. The rare wind-up toy was, without a doubt, the priciest of about 50 Disney items that were owned by the late Maurice Sendak. He's the author of the children's book, Where the Wild Things Are, that were auctioned this week by Hakes Americana and Collectibles, his items um, came out and sold for a few hundred dollars in some instances, things like salt shakers. Um, and then, of course, this wind-up toy that sold for 20000 over 20000 described as some of the most rare Mickey Mouse tin toys of any ever produced, dating back to the 1930s. The two that were sold, I beg your pardon, one of the two that were sold are of only three that still survive. So I loved that book growing up. I didn't realize that the author was a was a Mickey Mouse 
collector enthusiast. Finally, there's another new kind of a collectible that I just discovered, and those of you who are uh, a lot savvier than me probably know about this. They're called keycaps, and they fit. They're little plastic figures, I guess, that fit over the keys on a keyboard for a, a computer. Um, it's something that's uh, apparently started a few years ago. There's two companies that that are making them, Clack Therapy <laughs> and Brobot Therapy, um, and it's these keycaps, and you can get Darth Vader, like I said, the theme of today's show, and, of course, a lot of different uh, color skulls. Um, it's a neat thing to, uh, I guess, to have, and since so many of us spend so much time over a keyboard, um, maybe it's fun to have something like that on there. But there's a collecting community that has begun over this, and some of these uh, keycaps are selling for a lot more than what they originally retailed. I mentioned Darth Vader. Um, the Click Clack Green Dark Side Vader four hundred dollars <laughs> for and it's it's literally fits over a cap on a on a traditional keyboard for a computer seems like a lot <laughs> for something like that but hey if you're a collector and you're into that then uh go crazy and again of course i'll post this also on the collectorshow.net website all right that's it for news Everything you wanted to know about a life-size Han Solo, pre-frozen in carbonite for you, the most expensive Mickey Mouse tin toy ever, and of course, collectible keycaps. Next, we're going to talk more about Star Wars and how one individual took his hobby to another level here on Web Talk Radio with me, Harold Nichol. Welcome to the interview segment of The Collector's Show this week. You know, I always enjoy talking to people who have had the opportunity to have a significant, important collection and turn their hobby into a full-time job or a successful business, and that is definitely the case this week. We're talking with Brian Simling, who is a collector of Star Wars memorabilia and other types of memorabilia from that same era. Now, he started collecting Star Wars when he was in high school back in the 90s and today owns one of the biggest, if not the biggest, Star Wars store on the Internet. It was known then and now as Brian's Toys. Brian, welcome to The Collector Show. Nice to meet you, Harold. Thanks for making time for us. Now, I'm old enough to have actually seen the first Star Wars movie in a theater back in 1977. I was in high school. In fact, I was a senior. And, of course, the next two movies in that first trilogy into the early 80s. And so I'm interested that uh, someone who was in high school back in the 90s, way, way after the movies had ended their theater runs. How did you get introduced to Star Wars? 
Yeah, so that's a good question. So I was actually born in 1977, which is the year that the first Star Wars movie came out. So I definitely had some had Star Wars toys growing up in the early to mid-80s. And if memory serves, I think that I uh, would have seen the first movie in the theaters, you know, around 1980, 81. I just, you know, which would have been the original Star Wars, um, I think a re-release as well as, um, you know, the original Empire Strikes Back. Um, but I more distinctly remember Return of the Jedi, which I was... Uh, which I was six for the release for, so that I can that I can speak to definitively. I remember um, I'm from uh, Fountain City, Wisconsin, but I was on a family trip out to um, uh, the Boston area and New Hampshire visiting some relatives, and we went to a movie theater and saw a, a packed, jam-packed movie theater um, and saw Return of the Jedi when I was six. So I uh, so I was a younger child as you were uh, kind of uh, a, a much older child. Yes, as it all started, and um, and, and so I, I, I had the the Star Wars toys. I remember, you know, my favorite. Uh, I, I clearly had seen uh, some Star Wars movies by the time I was four because I've got a picture um, with my of, of uh, the Christmas of when I was four years old with uh, my AT-AT and um, you know ten or twenty action figures that I would have gotten. And um, and it, and it was uh, and that was my favorite toy growing up. So I, I so at any rate, so that was so I was on the younger end, but Star Wars was everywhere and a big deal. And um, you know, so I'm I, I'm glad I, I that wasn't yeah. yeah yeah I'm just glad that some you know your early childhood memories have you know it's a thread that's run throughout your life that it's a pleasant thing. Um, some of our early childhood memories for some of us are being frightened of clowns, and so. Uh, you you definitely won the lottery with with that. So congratulations on that. The memories are are good ones. In yeah. Regard. Yes. Very cool. So it makes sense then that you started collecting. Did you keep your your toys from when you were growing up, or did you start collecting later? No, I do remember selling off uh, all of my Star Wars toys at the age of ten at a family garage sale. Oh wow. And, uh, whether or not that had anything to do with uh, my later collecting, I guess I'm not, we'll never know for sure. But when I was uh, 15 and I watched uh, on TV at a friend's house, uh, Return of the Jedi was, was shown. This would have been in uh, the summer of 1992. Mm -hmm. And, boy, it rekindled a lot of the excitement, uh, you know, from when I was six and seeing that movie, you know, in the theater. And... Um, and I was at my friend's house. He had a large He-Man and the Masters of the Universe toy collection. And I mean really large. He had virtually everything that uh, had been produced. And I happened to watch the movie and then, uh, for whatever reason, happened to uh, kind of look at his toy collection just after the movie. And certainly that connected the dots to me to think, gosh, my Star Wars toys, wouldn't it be cool if I still had those? Mm -hmm. And, of course, I didn't. And it wasn't but, you know, maybe a, a week later or within that next week that I kind of made the determination. And I, I, I next watched the, 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 the original Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back movies, which I hadn't seen in years. Um, started reading uh, the Timothy Zahn book series and started um, kind of this idea that I was going to start collecting uh, vintage Star Wars toys 
And at the time that that kind of happened, I didn't realize that there was, even at that point in 1992, already a market, a fairly large and established market of collectors. I Mm -hmm. kind of imagined that it was kind of a unique interest that a few people would have, but not many. And I I was, even at that time, uh, was wrong. That's so it, was, it was already it was already kind of a big deal and becoming a much bigger deal. So. Yeah, and even then it was kind of pre-internet um, days. But that's one of the things that I've discovered in doing this program is that somebody will think, well, it can't possibly be that anybody other than me thinks that collecting whatever it happens to be is a good idea, and then you discover that there is a whole subculture of people who share that interest in um, a whole lot of social social networking, and I don't mean that in the Internet way, but in the actual go out and meet people you have a common interest with comes out of that. So you just kind of instinctually came on to a lot of the same kinds of things that other successful collectors did. I'm interested, though, in... This time back in the 90s, you were in high school and you started um, collecting and then selling, and you kind of had this idea for a business. How did you find customers for that? I mean, a garage sale, I get that, but people who collected uh, those kinds of toys and items pre-internet, how'd you find them, or how did they find you? Yeah, so I'll, I'll start by answering kind of how how I got into collecting, and then that really is the answer to how um, I then turned to, uh, you know, found customers. So I, uh, on a family vacation that summer, uh, found several different collectible shops that sold uh, Star Wars toys, and then I realized, wow, there is a real market for these items. This is cool because I'm interested. Um, a few months later, I found a trade publication called Toy Shop Magazine, and that blew my mind. Finding the stores was 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 exciting, and then this magazine was really like the eBay pre-internet, basically, mm-hmm. where toy dealers and collectors came together. Uh, several hundred pages of just ads, and Star Wars was one of the high-profile toy lines, you know, with with dozens and probably even over a hundred, you know, different ads for for buying and selling Star Wars items. So I collected um, a lot through mail order, through Toy Shop, and, and, and a few other trade publications. And so after about a year and a half, it was, uh, so we started, I started here in the June of 92 in terms of watching the, uh, the movies and kind of my interest being rekindled. And by March of 94, end of February of 94, had started the business. And so during that time, I had uh, been working part-time at a, at a local grocery store. Mm-hmm. And uh, it somewhere along that time occurred to me that I could try to start buying and selling these toys for a profit and maybe able to, um, you know, help to um, pay my way through college. So that was kind of the – and so where did I find customers? I uh, started taking out – very small, like business card-sized ads in the in Toy Shop magazine, mm-hmm. and then later those grew, and there were other trade publications like Lee's uh, Action Figure News, Tomart's, um, you know, a, a few magazines like that. So it started with print advertising, um, as well as 
um, you know, some some local toy conventions or trade conventions. So. That's uh, God bless trade publications. Um, I just to sort of digress. I spent a lot of time with trade pubs, not in the toy business, but um, they're they're such a great resource. It's interesting that um, you found those kinds of trade pubs back then. I worked at a grocery store also, but um, and it did suck, but it never occurred to me, go do something fun. So congratulations on having the good sense to get out of the, to get out of the grocery store business. What, in your opinion, since the mid-90s through 2014, what's a big change among collectors compared to when you started out? Well, that's an interesting question. So there's a lot of things that have changed, and to try to um, kind of just touch on a few points. Um, one is the at the time that I started collecting and started the business, there were only what we now call vintage Star Wars toys. At that time, we would have simply called them Star Wars toys. Um, so in 1994, 1995, um, Kenner and later Kenner was acquired by Hasbro. Now Hasbro produce um, new Star Wars toys and collectibles, and there's a number of other companies from, like Sideshow Collectibles and General Giant and different companies that produce new items. So at the time, in the early to mid-90s, there were only the old toys. Um, now, uh, you know, there certainly are those, but there's a lot of new, you know, a, a lot of new toys and collectibles and products that have been produced over the last 20 years. So that certainly um, is a big change. The other change is, is the group of people um, has gotten is basically the people who are interested. Certainly, to some extent, there's a new generation of people interested. Mm -hmm. But that original group of people, um, which would have included people like myself, have grown up. We, mm -hmm. I was probably on the the slightly younger side of things um, in terms of you know Star Wars and, and being born when it first came out. But um, in the 90s, most people who were Star Wars collectors were high school students, college students and people who had recently graduated college. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, we're, you know, in 2014, um, all, you know, we're all 20 years older and we're all growing up into, you know, people, no one's um, still in college anymore. Everyone has jobs and families and businesses. And, and so a lot of things, I think a lot of the interest is the same, but people are in a different point in life. And so an item that in 1992 might have sold for $100, uh, today could easily sell for $1,000 or $2,000. Wow. Um, in large part because the, the, you know, the, the, the same people are interested, but 20 or 22 years ago, that person was a college student, and $100 was a lot of money. Mm -hmm. um, you know, fast forward, um, it isn't as much today to, the, you know, to that interested collector as it was then, and prices have been pushed up significantly on a lot of the, um, you know, a lot of the rare or vintage, uh, particularly in the package, um, types of uh, types of items, also yeah. as well as items that are rare and high end that are out of the package. So. Well, that's kind of one of the things because with any collectible, it's condition, 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 and a lot of times, if something has been taken out of a box or a package, it just immediately it's like a car; it just loses all of its value the minute you drive it off the lot or take it out of the package. But I think what I heard you say is that there are items 
in this uh, genre of collecting that are valuable even without the package? Give us some examples. Yeah, so certainly, and, and it's certainly true that if the item is still original packaging and the condition is in great condition, it will it will definitely be worth a lot more. But there are examples of figures that we've sold out of the packaging um, in the in the neighborhood, let's say, of $5,000 or so. Um, for example, one would be a character which most non-Star Wars collectors would not be familiar with, but his name is Vlix. It was from the Star Wars Droids cartoon series mm-hmm. and only produced in Brazil. Well, that's just a really difficult figure to find in the package. It will range from ten to probably 20000 and maybe more in today's uh, white-hot uh, market. But out of the package, um, that would typically sell for us from a couple thousand on the low end incomplete to probably five or 6000 on the higher end complete graded by AFA, the third-party action figure wow. authority a grading service. So that would be an example. A couple other quick examples would be the early Jawa, the very first Jawa that was mm-hmm. released in the late 70s had a plastic cape or vinyl cape, and that um, in good condition but out of the package will still sell for 1000 to $1,500. Um, now, in the package, it's going to be double to 10 times that, but it's still a significant amount um, out of the package, and there are a number of examples like that, but that's just uh, just a couple for you. That's that's uh, I guess good to know. And um, you've got some technology I know we want to talk about here before before we uh, run completely out of time. But I wanted to talk about um, the impact of the of the movies. I I thought the second trilogy I thought was kind of disappointing, and then there's news that Disney now owns the the rights to the series and plans to start making Star Wars movies again. What was the impact on the hobby of those two revelations, the second series and then the announcement? Were those good for business, bad for business, good for the hobby? What happened? Yeah, I would say that the you know the in 1999 when the Episode One uh, movie came out, Star Wars Episode One. Um, there was a tremendous interest leading up to that mm-hmm. um, in 97 and 98 and early 99 as that was happening. And during that, um, I think that um, in general, uh, fans had probably very high expectations that were perhaps almost impossible to live up to based on the original trilogy. Um, but there was still a lot of interest, um, you know, post uh, you know, movies coming out as well, just a lot of marketing and um, and um, and hype. But probably in the you know leading up to that was probably where it was the most noticeable, like the year before, for example, or the year of, like ninety eight, ninety nine. Um, and it certainly didn't hurt in two thousand two and two thousand five. Other movies were released. Um, now getting to the other part of your question with the new trilogy, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's been nine years um, since 2005, since the last uh, Star Wars movie was released, and about a year and a half ago was when, um, late 2012 is when uh, Disney announced the purchase of Lucasfilm, and it has definitely been the case that since that time, um, vintage toys have been um, very hot, and in particular, rare and high-condition items have moved up um, dramatically in the last year and a half. 
Some of it, I think, could likely be attributed to the stock market moving up and the real estate market being stronger than it was five years ago. Mm -hmm. But um, there's no question that a very big portion of that uh, interest is definitely new movies coming out and kind of a resurgence um, in, in, in interest as well. So awesome. Well, I'm glad it's good for uh, I'm glad it's good for business and your business. You know, you quit uh, you quit. MIT to come back and and work on this full time. So, did you did you know that that was a good a good business move for you, or were you sort of rolling the dice? What was in your mind when you when you made that decision? By the time I left, it was certainly at least in my mind, it was it was a clear decision. Uh, for the previous several months leading up to that decision, I had. Business had been going very well uh, back at home over the summer um, as I'd come home for the summer break. And heading back to school my sophomore year, um, I had made the decision to fly home each weekend to not give up the business. School was, and so it was kind of this in between transition. So during that six to eight week period, um, it was a little bit of a of a struggle, I think, in terms of, you know, making, I was, I was not committing to either path at that point. When I left MIT in October of 96, um, at that point, it was clear. Um, it was, you know, the business was, was booming. And I knew that if I just kept going at it and putting, you know, 100% of my energy into the business, that it was going to do nothing but um, explode. And our sales in 2096 were, about 200,000 and our next year which was the first year that I dedicated to the business full time we were in the neighborhood of 1.3 million so wow. there was you know something like a 5 or 600% increase in sales partly just as the business was was growing but certainly a large part of that too is just me going from kind of a part-time business to all out you know full blast um, starting to hire people and and so forth. Very cool. So, it, so I, I was on the cusp of that as I was making that decision, and it was fairly easy to to see. I didn't know what the numbers would look like, but I certainly knew that um, you know that we were, um, you know, that that we were that I could do much better if I fully committed to the business. So. I, and probably your parents on the phone, you know, with you at school. You know, Brian, somebody has to mail this stuff, so. Get home and take care of take care of business. So they were very supportive. I wouldn't. I don't remember. Uh, I, I'm sure that they didn't pressure my decision one way or the other. I don't remember specific conversations, but they were uh, supportive as as um, uh, in helping with the business as well as with my decision. Cool. But I wouldn't say that they steered or pressured my decision. So it sounds like. Uh, this is like we said earlier. This was a thread that was gonna weave all the way through your life, and the next chapter involves some interesting technology that will be good for for buyers and sellers. Why don't you tell us about that? Yeah. So let me take let me tell you about where we've been the last few years. So fast forward twenty years, we still are a large retailer uh, of Star Wars toys and collectibles, and that is. Um, a large focus of ours, but over the last couple of years, we've expanded uh, the toy lines that we that we sell and really that we purchase from toy collectors. So everything from Barbie to Lego 
to GI Joe to McFarland Sports to Batman, etc. So we, you know, almost toy line from 1990 or after, uh, we're purchasing from toy collectors, and we certainly do some vintage toy collecting, vintage toy purchasing mm-hmm. uh, prior to 1990 as well, in particular for Star Wars items. So over that time period, we've developed uh, some tools on our website, like a, a web app which is like a reverse shopping cart, help tell us what you have to sell. Mm-hmm. Prices are showing immediately. You can check out and basically uh, submit a list to us to sell items, and you can use an Excel uh, uh, form, <clears throat> Microsoft Excel form, that is basically like a checklist, um, similar type of information um, to fill in the quantities that you have. The prices are there, and it's kind of a kind of a, an order sheet of uh, itemizing your collection and, and, and doing it that way. But what we've really been moving towards the last few years with our, our, our sites on the future, and we're, we're almost to that point now, was to, we want to make this process uh, of people, for, we want to make the process of selling or valuing toys as easy as possible. Mm-hmm. And so what we envisioned a couple of years ago, we've worked towards and, and we're creating a mobile app where people will be able to scan in their toys. Now, granted, it won't typically work for vintage toys pre-1990, and it won't typically work for toys that are out of their packaging. But for modern toys from the 90s and 2000s that are in their packaging, mm-hmm. all a collector will need to do is scan their toys, and the UPC will, will generate in the app if it's an item that's within our database of um, lists that we that we publish, items that are already on our list, uh, the name and the price that we're paying will um, will populate into the app instantly. If the item is not in our database, then the uh, then the collector will have the opportunity to submit the list to us to get a quote back with a price within a couple of days. Wow! So. Um, it, it also can be used to help collectors manage their toy collections. Even someone who has a toy collection and isn't really interested in selling to Brian's toys, uh, maybe just wants to make a list of their toys and doesn't want to sit down in front of the computer and type it up because they're dreading taking hours to do it, can now pull out their, you know, and soon it isn't actually, we're in the third round of beta testing at the moment, but in September we expect it to be ready and in the uh, Apple App Store. And at that point, the, the, the collector will be able to scan in their toys and, uh, you know, alphabetize them, drag and drop, sort the list. They'll be able to export a list um, by, uh, in Excel, which can be emailed to that person if they want to keep it on file. So, mm-hmm. so certainly we're, uh, we're hoping that it will make it easier for collectors to get values and potentially sell us toy collections. For any toy collector that's interested in kind of creating a list of their items, and managing that list, um, you know, we intend for the app to be free. And even if there isn't a interest in uh, selling toys at this point, you know, that we're still certainly welcoming the use of the app. And um, you know, we think that that will be um, you know good for business in the long run. Absolutely. And um, tell the folks in the audience what your website address is, so they can yeah. find you. So our web our website address is Brian'sToys.com. B-R-I-A-N-S-T-O-Y-S dot com. If you're potentially interested in selling toys, com backslash sell your toys will take you directly to our um, our main page for selling toys. And the name of our app is Price My Toys. And that isn't going to be in the App Store until September, 
but in September that uh, that should be available in the Apple App Store, and that name again is Price My Toys. Price My Toys, and if you can't uh, remember that, and I probably can't, just your your website. It's Brian's Toys, and it's a lot more. There's a lot more content on your site than Star Wars. There's GI Joe and and a variety of of uh, toys that baby boomers and uh, Generation X and even younger would be interested in in Absolutely. seeing and know more about. Brian, I appreciate you being on the Collectors Show with us this week, and I hope you'll come back in the fall and tell us about your app. You're very welcome. Thank you very much. One more quick word right after this on the Collectors Show. I'm Harold Nichol. Well, that's going to do it for this week's version of the Collectors Show. The news items that I shared with you at the top of the program, you can read those in full if you go to the Collectors Show website. That's collectorsshow.net. And there's two S's in Collector Show. It's all one word. And you can read for yourself about those rare Mickey Mouse toys. I don't think I did a very good job of explaining that, and I won't try again and just make it worse. But you can read about it at the Collector Show website. Next week, we're going to talk about lunchboxes. It's back to school time. And if kids still carried lunchboxes, then this would be the time of year they'd be out shopping for them. We'll talk about those. And, of course, more news next week here on Web Talk Radio. I'm Harold Nickel. Thank you for listening.